Mark 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and they made their way. His disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you ever read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word and ask now that you take your word and grant us understanding, grant us application. Ask that you take your word and empower it in our own hearts that we may have the ability to trust what you say. Lord, thank you for who you are and what you have given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just relax. Just relax. There's bills to be paid. The water softener is leaking. Weight needs to be lost. Family needs to be visited. Just relax. How many of you have ever been told that before? Just relax. And how often did it work when someone said, just relax. The command, just relax, or the encouragement, just relax, actually usually what? Produces the opposite. How can something so good, just relax, actually end up producing the opposite? And how can so many of us struggle with such a simple concept or a simple encouragement? Just relax. Probably this morning, all of us on some level could agree that we have a difficult time relaxing or resting or being still. In a world that says, go, 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 one thing we rarely hear or rarely say is, stop, stop, stop. Yet maybe this morning and maybe this week and maybe in our lives, we need to learn to just relax. So how can we gather together this morning and hear the word, just relax, and not let it be another should on the list, but rather let it produce what God wants it to produce? rest and stillness. Do you need rest this morning? Well, the way to examine our hearts to see if we need rest is to examine the fruit in our lives. So look at the overflow of your life for a second. Do you have a short fuse? Are you able to stay calm in the midst of a furious situation? Do crashing waves automatically produce anxiety? 
I've heard it said that life is 90% reaction and 10% planned action. If you want to know if you need rest, if you're getting enough rest, examine your 90% reaction. Does your 90% reaction resemble the image of God? Or in other words, does your 90% reaction portray the character and the person of Jesus Christ? When pushed, do you push back? Or do you stay calm and reflect the nature of Jesus Christ back? I think all of us, if we did a little bit of fruit inspection this morning, would probably acknowledge that we need a little more rest that we need a little more stillness. So why haven't we entered into this promise of being still or resting? Why is it that we have such a difficulty with the phrase, just relax? Well, this morning, maybe it's because we've forgotten the promise of God. We've maligned the declaration of Jesus Christ, and we've ignored the pattern that God has given to us. This morning, if we can remember the promise of God, if we can elevate the declaration of Jesus Christ, and if we can implement the patterns that God has revealed to us, you and I can experience rest. We can experience stillness in the midst of the storm. Earlier we read from Psalm 46 that if you've been in church for a long time, you're probably familiar with Psalm 46. Psalm 46, the psalmist is giving us a description of war going on around him. Not just war, but also calamity of of nature, of different things. In other words, stuff's not right. And yet in the midst of the psalm, the psalmist is declaring, Be still and know that I am God. How can the psalmist declare in the midst of a furious storm, in nature and also militarily, how can the psalmist declare, be still and know that I am God? The psalmist can declare that because of the promise attached to it. What is the promise that we need to remember this morning? The promise comes after he says, be still and know that I am God. It is, for the Lord your God is your refuge, your rock, your fortress. The promise to us this morning is the presence of God. The same promise that Jesus Christ gave to his followers right before he leaves, he says, Lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. We have to continually remind ourselves of the promise, the promise that God is with us. When we forget that promise, we begin to take on things that are not our own. When we forget that promise, we begin to act in ways that what? Reflect that we are God rather than God being God. The promise is the presence of God. We have to remember that God made that promise to David and then he makes that promise again to us through Jesus Christ to be with us to the end of the age. Are you remembering the promise of God that he is present? Not only do we have to remember the promise of God, but we also have to elevate the declaration of Jesus Christ. Today in Mark chapter 2, we see this story of Jesus interacting with the religious leaders. It's a pretty normal situation for Jesus. 
The religious leaders are trying to trap him. The religious leaders are trying to point him where he's doing wrong. The religious leaders are trying to find ways to what? Set him aside so people will again begin listening to them rather than Jesus. Well, in this interaction that Jesus has with the religious leaders, they try and trap him on this message of rest, the Sabbath. Sabbath simply means a rest. And so the religious leaders are trying to trap Jesus by catching him on the day of rest doing work. As his disciples were traveling through, his disciples were hungry. So what do you do when you're hungry? Eat. And what do you have to do to get food? You've got to get it from somewhere. So they're grabbing food from plants. And what are the religious leaders saying? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus, your followers are breaking the Sabbath rules. Say what? You cannot grab food on the Sabbath? Well, you have to realize what happened. There's a command in the Old Testament about harvesting on the Sabbath. So in other words, in an agricultural community, God had laid out some principles for them to follow that they would take the Sabbath day off and rest from their harvesting work. Well, what happened over a period of years during what's called the intertestament period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is about 400 years, depending on who you look at, during that period, the religious leaders began to build up walls around the law of God. So here you had a law that said what? Don't harvest on the Sabbath. Well, the religious leaders wanted to add an extra layer of protection because they saw what? Society kind of creeping in. So what'd they do? Well, let's add an extra rule. Don't just harvest on the Sabbath. You can't even pick grain heads on the Sabbath. Get really right down into it. So they added these extra layers, what? To try and protect the law of God because what? They thought that it was through the law that they received salvation or eternal life. So their view of the law was this. God had given them a standard to meet, and when they met that standard, they were approved by God. Therefore, what do they do? Everything they can to protect that standard. Not just protect it, but what? Make it really plain and simple so they can what? Be prideful that they've attained it. So now they're not picking the grain, so what can they say? We're not breaking the Sabbath. We're attaining God's command. Therefore, we're achieving our salvation. So it starts with a misunderstanding of the law, and then it comes to them adding extra walls to protect the law. They had built all of this up, and now they've caught Jesus' disciples breaking the tradition of the elders. Maybe you've seen that phrase when reading the gospel, the tradition of the elders. That's the walls that the religious leaders had set up to protect against the actual laws of God. And so multiple times you see what? Jesus breaking down the walls. Jesus willingly breaking the tradition of the elders. Because what? It's just that, tradition. Man instituted tradition. So Jesus is in the midst of all of this with his followers, trying to get the religious leaders set straight. They're trying to catch him. And he says, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've had a complete misunderstanding of the Sabbath. Notice what it says here in Mark chapter 2. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus is basically saying, hey, God's law was meant for your good. God did not give you a law as a burden, but rather God's law is meant for your good. 
why else can David in the Psalms and other people in the Old Testament, when talking about the law, say, it's like honey on my lips? When's the last time you said, God, your commands are like honey on my lips? God, your commands are like a cool, refreshing Mountain Dew at 3 p.m. with six ice cubes. That's how beautiful your commands are. That's how refreshing your commands are. The psalmists were saying this. They were saying, God, your commands are refreshing. They're beautiful. They're life-giving. Yet so often when we look at God's commands, what do we see? Burdens, guilt, oh, shoulds and should not. Jesus is, is reframing everything here. He's saying, hey, no, no, the Sabbath was put into place for your good. It's not to be a burden, but rather it's to be a pathway or it's to be a pattern that can help you in your life that's for your benefit. In the midst of making that declaration, then Jesus takes it one step further. The next verse, Mark 22, verse 26, then he says, 28, sorry, he says, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Okay, this really gets the religious leaders going. Because you know what Jesus just declared? Jesus just declared that he's king. That he is above all of the law of God. That this thing that's been held in high regard, the law of the Sabbath, Jesus is saying, I'm above that law. I wrote that law. I can direct which ways I want that law to be used. Jesus is making a radical declaration here. The declaration that the law is subservient to him. That the law must submit to his desires. That he's not one who's under the law, rather, he put the law in place. And he's completely obeyed the law because he's the one who put it in place. Jesus is saying here, he's God. This is a radical declaration that he's making. Because the religious leaders, what? They look to Moses who received the Ten Commandments from the living God, the great I Am. Now Jesus is saying, I am the great I Am. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This declaration, we've got to elevate. We have to raise up that what? Jesus is not just one of us. He's far beyond just one of us. He came and lived among us to experience life like us, but he is far more than any of us because he is Lord of the Sabbath. You see, when we minimize Jesus, we maximize our anxieties. Minimize Jesus, maximize your worries and anxieties because now what? You've got a Savior and a Lord who can't help you with your worries and your anxieties. But when you maximize Jesus and elevate him to the place where he belongs, guess what happens? You minimize your worries and your anxieties because now you have a king who is way beyond anything that's causing you worry or anxiety because now you have the king who, as we sung about, has conquered the grave. And this king can handle when the seas are raging. You see, we have such a hard time relaxing because we've minimized Jesus. We have not made Jesus king. We have not recognized the declaration that he's made when he said, He is the Lord, 
even of the Sabbath. Today, we have to remember the promise of God and we have to magnify the declaration of Jesus Christ. That God has promised to be with us present forever and Jesus Christ has declared himself to be king. That promise and that declaration set us up for an eternity of relaxation, an eternity of resting. And I think this morning, all of you would agree with me on that. I assume that all of you today would raise your hand if I said, hey, in eternity, do you want to be able to relax? Or do you want an eternity like today, where it's anxiety and worry? How many funerals have you been to, where heaven is proclaimed, and then they say, whew, a lot of worry and anxiety coming your way. When we proclaim heaven, when we proclaim eternity, what do we proclaim? Rest, peace, joy for all of eternity. And we can proclaim that because of the promise of God and the declaration of Jesus Christ. But that's not just something in the future. That's something today for us as followers of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not in the future. Salvation is today. Jesus showed up in a town and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. So how is it then that we can experience this rest today? Trust in the promise of God, magnify the person of Jesus Christ, and then very practically speaking, God has given us a pattern. That pattern is called the Sabbath. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's given very early in the Ten Commandments where God directly says to his people, keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. I would contend this morning that we struggle to relax because we've neglected, neglected the pattern of the Sabbath. This raises all sorts of questions. So are we still under the law of the Sabbath? Does it still apply to us? Well, let me ask you this. Are we still under the law of do not commit adultery? Are we still under the law of for there is no other gods before me? Are we still under the law of do not want your neighbor's donkey? Are we still under those laws? I would assume that majority would say yes this morning. Majority are probably teaching your kids and your grandkids those very things. Those very things come from the Ten Commandments of God, God's revealed law to us. Well, what about the Sabbath? The Sabbath is one of them. Jesus does not say here, don't keep the Sabbath. He gives us a reinterpretation or a re-understanding of what the Sabbath is. We do not keep the Sabbath to attain God's righteousness. We do not keep the Sabbath to get God to love us. But rather, we keep the Sabbath because what? God says so. We do all of this talk back and forth. Well, does it apply? Does it not apply? What's the role of the law in our salvation? You can talk about that all day long. It comes back to one simple fact. God says so. God says, keep the day holy. John Piper, a pastor and author who's written extensively on this, says the following. He says, for the Sabbath is a gift of love to meet humanity's need, not an oppressive burden to make humanity miserable or proud. The Sabbath was a gift to humanity. Why? 
because God wanted us to pattern our life after himself. And what did God do? God says in the scriptures that he took a Sabbath, that on the seventh day he rested. And whether you interpret that as one day is a thousand years or whatever, beside the point. The point is very clear that God rested. Okay, if God can rest, the one who runs everything, the one who has control over everything, guess what? You can rest as well. The Sabbath is given to us as a gift from God that we might follow the pattern of God himself. So what would it look like to actually have a Sabbath? What does it look like to take a Sabbath in our culture today? Does that mean I can't wear cotton on Sundays? I mean, there's laws about cotton on the Sabbath. Does that mean I shouldn't go out to eat because I'm causing other people to work? It raises all sorts of questions. And when we begin to dive into some of those questions, guess where we end up? The same place the Pharisees ended up setting up little policies and regulations to make sure that what? We're attaining some commandment so that we have God's approval. Rather than saying, God, thank you for this gift, that we would take time each week for rest. A couple of things that have always been in every generation of the church true of the Sabbath. The first thing that's always been true of the Sabbath is this, worship. Sabbath has always been built around worship, the gathering of God's people to hear God's word proclaimed, to offer sacrifices of praise and times of prayer. Jesus continued this pattern himself. And after Jesus, his first very apostles did what? Followed the exact same pattern. Worship was central to the Sabbath time. So for you and I to have a Sabbath, what does it look like? It looks like making worship a priority at some point during the week. If you're traveling somewhere, guess what? There's a church in every town in America. Um, maybe I'm wrong on this. But the Methodist church, for example, when they were planning churches, went to everywhere where there's a post office box and put a church, a post office. They put a church there. I'm pretty sure you can find a church wherever you're traveling. So, so when you're traveling guess what you can do? Find a place and a time for worship to be renewed. It might be Saturday night. It might be Sunday morning. It might be Sunday night. But you can find a place of worship because that's central to the Sabbath. Why is it central to the Sabbath? It's central to the Sabbath. It's because through God's Word, God reveals Himself to His people. And worship is the proclamation of God's Word. is a key aspect of it. So when you gather for worship, you're recentering yourself on the purposes of God. The Sabbath is critical to our lives, and worship is at the center of the Sabbath. So let me encourage you today to consider taking the Sabbath one step further, though. To actually a day of doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff, not getting something in return. What, what do I mean by that? Doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff, not doing stuff to get something in return. Taking a walk, for example. When you walk on the Sabbath, guess what you're walking for? Walking. 
When you're walking on Saturday, what are you walking for? Lose calories. Today, you've got complete freedom to walk for the sake of walking. The Sabbath is a day when we should just do stuff for the sake of doing stuff because God has given us creation to enjoy. So when you're with people on the Sabbath, you're not with that person to get something. You're simply with that person to be in relationship. So what does it look like on the Sabbath to gather together with friends? This is absolutely critical. This is completely countercultural. But if I encourage us to go one direction, this would be it. You need to get together with friends on the Sabbath. You know, just show up at each other's homes. Don't clean. Do nothing. Don't prepare any food. When they show up, then as a group, decide, well, what are we going to eat? Let's go get some food together or let's make something together. When you get done eating, guess what? The hosts aren't doing the dishes. Everybody's doing the dishes. There's no clock. There's no schedule. There's no expectations. What is it? It's simply relationship. It's being together. We need to learn how to do this. We need to learn how to be in relationship where there's no expectations. Because most of the time, we're in relationship with expectations. Guess what? The person who has the expectations just had no Sabbath because they've been in anxiety and worry the whole time. Do I have this done? Do I have this right? Maybe we should get this next. Take a step of faith. Don't clean and call someone and say, hey, come on over, let's do something for supper and just do whatever. Be together. The Sabbath is not going to worship on Sunday morning, going home, sitting in the recliner and watching the Vikings lose, followed by the Packers lose, and then just going to bed all disgruntled for the night. That's not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is recentering ourselves on the purposes of God and filling our tanks by spending time in healthy relationship with one another. When is the last time you had a Sabbath? No expectations. Completely free to be you. When I say the words, just relax, are you able to just relax? If you're not, I would encourage you today to not forget the promise of God that his presence is with us to magnify the person of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord even of the Sabbath, and to follow the pattern set before us in the Scriptures of keeping the Sabbath. Most of us cannot rest because we have not come to a place of trust. We cannot rest because we have not come to a place of trust. How many of you have ever went to bed at night kind of doubting something in your mind about the front door or the back door or doubting a little patch that was put on the roof to keep a leak away? How did you sleep that night? Many years ago, back before I became a professional do-it-yourselfer thing, I was up at camp and we were fixing some plumbing. We got this new shower all hooked up and the water was back and running. It was fabulous. And it was a chore to get to that point. I thought we had achieved something great. And then... The guy that was in the cabin with I said, cabin was with me, said, hey, do you hear something? Is that water? 
Well, it could be water, but I mean, we did the plumbing. It can't be our water thing. So we run up to the bathroom, and what's happening? Water everywhere. Oh, how do you think we slept the rest of the night after we fixed it? You didn't sleep because all you're thinking is what? Is that holding? You got complete doubt in your mind. You can't trust the work that was done. So many of us can't rest because we have not come to a place of trust. Today, God says, you can trust me. And guess what? We've got a history to look back on to take to the bank. A history of where God has been faithful time and time again. And it ultimately points us back to the cross. And at the cross, we find the ultimate Sabbath. Because guess what? At the cross, we say the following. I'm doing nothing except me as I am, God. And on the Sabbath, what are we doing? God, we're just going to be who we are. The Sabbath and the cross, they're intertwined. You can't truly experience the Sabbath until you come to the cross and trust in Jesus Christ. So today, as you look around the world and you hear on the news story that thousands of migrants are looking for a place to live, when you turn on the news and you see that Christians are being beheaded in the Middle East, when you turn on the news and you learn that people are being shot just because they're certain types of people. When you turn on the news and you see that the crime rate is soaring, when you turn on the news and you see bad news after bad news, just relax. And I don't say that lightly. I say that because God's Word says, be still and know that I am God. When your personal life is beginning to shake, when things at work are stressful, when things at home are out of control and seem like no one's listening to you at all, just relax. Be still and know that He is God. Just relax because God has promised to be with you. Jesus Christ has declared himself to be king, and God has given us something called the Sabbath so that we can have a pattern of rest in our lives. And so this morning, I invite you to come forward. We come to the communion table today. And as you come to the communion table today, I'd like you to take a moment to reflect. Take a moment to acknowledge to God, first and foremost, all of the different things that are causing anxiety in your life. Acknowledge to God all of the different things that put you in a place where you cannot just relax. As you come to the communion table today, acknowledge to God those things. Also acknowledge to God today the times in which you have neglected his word, the times in which you have not loved your neighbor as you have loved yourself. Acknowledge all of that to God. And then come forward today and experience the cross. Experience the faithfulness of God that God has given his son on your behalf. And God now says, rest. Just relax. 
because you're forgiven in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Almighty God, we acknowledge to you today that we are a people who have a tough time slowing down. We acknowledge today that we are a people who have a tough time resting. And so today, God, we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would burn your promise in our hearts and in our minds. We pray that today you would take the identity of Jesus and burn it in who we are as people. And we pray that today, O Lord, you would give us the strength and the ability to follow the pattern you set for us in keeping a Sabbath. So today, God, we ask that you would enable and empower that which you command. God, thank you for the forgiveness that you give to us. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.